Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. So let's just count it down. Three. One, one, oh, three, two. <laughs> count oh, down. Okay. Count, count down. down. Three. Okay, count three. Down. three. All right. Hello, hello, hello. I am the AV Club's Patrick Gomez, uh, and welcome to another episode of Push the Envelope. I am joined here today, as I have been for these last two episodes, with our managing editor, Eric Adams, and TV editor, Jeanette Chavez. Thank you guys again for joining. Hi, Patrick. Hi, Jeanette. Hi, Hi guys. Uh, thank you for ducking into your closets and <laughs> finding a, a space to record uh, as we do this all, um, continuing to be virtual uh, as the as the Emmys are doing. And we're going to talk. We've got a little bit of an update uh, on on kind of how these Emmys are going to look as we get more information leading up to the ceremony on the 20th. But uh, the meat of this episode will focus on the drama nominees, so the writing, directing, acting, and series categories for all of the dramas, shows, uh, drama shows, whatever that means. <laughs> um, we're also going to be hearing from Succession's Nicholas Braun and Breaking Bad co-creator and co-showrunner Peter Gould. So we're going to be doing things a little bit differently as well. Uh, we're going to build a little suspense. We've, we've learned uh, from our pilot in our, in our second episode. And as many shows do, we're, we're perfecting things as we head to the fourth episode, which we've talked about in the office as being always seeming to be the best. So hopefully by then we'll be perfect. Uh, but we're going to build, uh, build the suspense and, and talk about who we think the front runners are in each category at the end of the podcast. But everything else will be mostly like you listened to last week uh, for our comedy categories. If you haven't listened to that, you should. But if not, you won't be lost because we're talking about completely different stuff today. But before we get to that, um, we have now seen a letter um, from the producers of the Emmys that they sent out to all the nominees and people that they're hoping to be a part of it. Uh, and according to Variety, they are willing to make pretty much anything work. Uh, I know you guys got a chance to check out the letter as well. It basically says that they are willing to come to your house or go to a studio or basically wherever these nominees are, they're willing to make something work and they want to have you in your formal wear or your pajamas by yourself or with your family. And I think that's really exciting. We kind of talked about this in our first episode. What do you guys think about this development? Are they uh, drawing any lines as to uh, where they are and are not willing to go to? Like, uh, could a say could a nominee uh, accept their award at an abandoned water park? Uh, well, class action um, park, uh, which if you haven't checked out on HBO Max, is is probably not the safest place uh, to accept to accept an award. But it does. It sounds like they're willing to make a, a lot of stuff work. Um, and globally, they also know that people are, are filming stuff internationally. So it might be a very global um, Emmys, uh, which hopefully people have great Wi-Fi, I guess. Um, but we'll see. Uh, I don't know. But it, I think it's super exciting. I think it's going to make it feel like fun and different. And, uh, you know, as we've mentioned before, I love the idea of seeing people's like actual homes and, and that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm hoping that most people opt for just doing it at home rather than like trying to go to a studio or 
make it seem like super polished. My favorite bit from this letter is our informal theme for the night is come as you are, but make an effort, which is like every passive aggressive friend who throws a dinner party, you know, (laughs) who is like, you know, oh, you know, we're, we're eating something nice, but you know, don't go out of your way, you know, like maybe don't dress like that. But also that's my favorite part of this letter. I, I, it makes me think of that Monica, that Monica moment from Friends. I'm breezy, <laughs> totally, totally chill. Whatever you want, um, just make sure it's exactly what I'm asking for. Uh, and that's not the only bit of news that we've had. We've actually had some Emmy awards already announced. The juried awards; those were revealed last week, and we saw the animation work on. Adult Swim's Primal recognized um, Mandy Moore, not the This Is Us actress and singer, but uh, the choreographer known from So You Can Can Dance and Dancing with the Stars. Um, Her choreography for uh, NBC's Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist won an award, as well as the team um, behind Joseph Gordon-Levitt's hit record. Thank God. Whatever it is. (laughs) Maybe now that he's got an Emmy for that project, he can put it to bed. Holy crap, Jogo. Well, in many different ways, <laughs> try to hit record a thing. Um, well, uh, Dad and I actually were talking about this earlier today before we were recording, and it's just like, where is it even airing now? And, and it's available on YouTube. YouTube is very excited that they get to kind of count this as a as a Emmy win for them. So you know what? I'll let them have it. I guess. <laughs> There's um, nothing wrong with feel good TV, obviously, <laughs> but this is just that Humans of New York page brought to life for me i don't know no it's very i I agree it's very 2011 it's very earnest Mm. it's it feels like it's an idea he had in the immediate wake of 500 days of summer and extended it infinitely i uh, i guess good on him for making it last this long maybe that's maybe that's what the emmy's for right it's just like the staying power like he he just he won't take no for an answer and, and good on him i guess for it um We'll continue to actually be getting these announcements because the um, these Creative Arts Emmys uh, are going to be uh, awarded uh, over a series of streams that are going on for five days. Um, so from the 14th to the 17th of September, we'll be getting uh, news of some of these Creative Arts Emmys. And then on the 19th, uh, Nicole Byer is going to be hosting uh, a stream that's going to go uh, live on FXX. Uh, so we'll, we'll be getting a lot of Emmys news leading up to the award ceremony on the 20th. Of course, normally the Creative Arts Emmys is the weekend before, so it gets its own like special weekend, and it's usually the hottest weekend in Los Angeles, and I've had to stand on that red carpet before and uh, melt. Um, so uh, obviously that's not going to be happening this year, but uh, we will get it the night before. So I'll certainly be watching. Love Nicole Byer, and she seems to be just everywhere right now. So I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but I'll take it. <laughs> but before we get to all of that, of course, we still need to debate uh, the nominees for the actual Primetime Emmy Awards. And as I mentioned, we're going to be doing our drama categories, which, you know, we, we spoke about when we were talking about the comedy nominees, that we were a little less excited about the drama nominees. And uh, we feel like it's only fair to kind of express why. It's not that we hate these shows or anything like that. They're just, uh, they didn't excite us. And, and Danette, why don't we start with you? What, what about these is just less exciting for you? Some of these shows are getting, I mean, we, we don't want to fall prey to the Golden Globes thing, right? You know, by being distract, distracted by the shiny new toy. But at the same time, multiple nominees are now in their third season and you know, these also just weren't the best outings 
for these, you know, uh, season three shows, what would they be? Juniors in high school? Um, <laughs> they're doing all right, but they're definitely, you know, figuring out their, you know, their plan for their fourth year, you know, and getting the hell out of, <laughs> getting the hell out of high school. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that's what kind of dampens our enthusiasm or my enthusiasm anyway. Um, I also just, boy, if any, if, if we could eliminate any of these right now, it would be The Handmaid's Tale season, season three for me. What do you guys think? Well, it seems like Handmaid's is really coasting on the momentum that it got from that first season and when it felt so relevant to the nightmare that we live in uh, on a daily basis. Uh, it's, it, it just like, it, it keeps on hanging on. I think maybe there's a little bit of a Hollywood liberal pat yourself on the back kind of feeling about it uh, where, you know, hashtag resistance, etc. cetera. Um, the, the third season thing is an interesting thing to me. Uh, I, I feel like this is a phenomenon that we've kind of talked about a lot on the site, especially with regard to shows second seasons, where that is usually where a TV show comes into its own, does its best work. Um, and, you know, maybe that's uh, in evidence with succession. That's also kind of where a show can build on the the word of mouth and the good buzz that it got its first time around, which is something that we could also say about succession. Um, but then uh, you know you've got a freshman like the Mandalorian, which you know, you're talking about uh, Golden Globes and the shiny new toy. Like, what's <laughs> a shinier new toy than Baby Yoda? <laughs> uh, well, certainly one that I want for next Christmas. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, for me, Handmaid's Tale, it's almost like it, it was so timely when it came out, but still kind of um, like a, a warning. It, it was something that it was like, oh God, like that could be where we're headed. And now I think we're just like in such of a dark period of like, no, that's where we are. Um, that, that that's also turned a lot of people off. So I am actually surprised it got as much attention as it did just because I can't tell you how many people have, uh, have backed off of that show just because they said they can't live in that space right now. Um, so that surprised me a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, I, I have a feeling we, we might disagree on this a little bit, Zanette, based on something you mentioned in passing uh, earlier before we were recording. But, I, you know, I, I think Killing Eve really struggled this season, and I'm surprised to see it represented as much as it is as well. Um, I just, I, I feel like it, it lacked the spark of, of having those two characters together um, as much as they could. It, the, the episode that particularly Jodie Comer submitted, though, I think was my favorite episode of the season, and she does fantastic work. They all do great work. It just like, again, the season didn't work for me. So oh, I, think it, I, I think it could have been a limited series. I think it could have ended after the first season. <laughs> but oh, so well, I mean, Handmaid's yes. Tale. <laughs> yes. The I mean, same goes yeah. for Handmaid's Tale. I mean, same goes for Handmaid's Tale, Morning yeah. Show. I mean, all of the, I mean, you know, limited series is, is kind of where it's at, which is one of the reasons that we saved it for uh, our final pre-Emmys uh, episode. But uh, yeah, I mean, all, a lot of, I mean, Big Little Lies is, uh, is on here and that literally was a limited series. Uh, so yes, uh, but, you know, I just, I think they, they, the acting on that show is great, but just the show in general didn't work for me. Uh, Westworld obviously like rebooted itself a little bit this year as it I mean kind of does every year I guess we can talk about whether or not that was successful in a little bit but um, 
you know, I'm excited. I'm not necessarily excited about the nominees, but I'm excited to talk about them. Um, so Eric, why don't you kick us off and start walking us through, uh, starting with the supporting actor nominees? Absolutely. The nominees for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Drama Series are <laughs> Nicholas Braun, Succession, Kieran Culkin, Succession, Matthew McFadden, Succession. Are you sensing a pattern? <laughs> Mark Duplass, The Morning Show, Billy Crudup, The Morning Show, Giancarlo Esposito, Better Call Saul, Bradley Whitford, The Handmaid's Tale, and Jeffrey Wright, Westworld. That was fantastic announcer voice, Eric. I have to. I'm, 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 I'm really kind of taking this as my opportunity to uh, do some sort of auditioning for some <laughs> VO. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, you you hinted at it already. Like, there's three succession nominees here. We've got Sarah Snook, uh, represented in supporting actress, and we've got Brian Cox and Jeremy Strong in the lead actor category, which is basically everyone on that show uh, nominated. Uh, and there's also some uh, guest actor nominations, which we're not going to discuss necessarily today. But basically, anyone that touched the show got a nomination. Um, and I think it's very well deserved. Uh, it'll just be interesting to see how that plays out, as we spoke about during the comedy uh, categories. Um, how, if that splits votes or if somebody rises to the top, I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, I mean, we, we've had this conversation. We had the, this conversation a bit in our comedy talk, right? About how, you know, when you're up against your co-star, like, does that buoy your chances or does that, you know, kind of, uh, take some of the air out of your own, uh, campaign, um, What's interesting to me here is that, you know, Jeremy Strong was able to break away from the pack, right? That he was able to move into, I mean, you know, like he's in daddy's office for real now. Where he's, and I'm jumping ahead a bit to lead actor, but, you know, he's very much, you know, at work with daddy. He's in the office now. Um, I was not a, as big a fan of the morning show. So I don't like for me, and this is just based on, you know, what I preferred, but the, it, it's really a three-way competition, I think, among uh, Culkin, Braun, and McFadden. Is it Fadian or Fadian? Oh, I don't know. I think I tripped over that one. I I don't know. Well, well, you know, Tom. We, we apologize. You, yeah, we apologize, <laughs> Matthew, uh, but we we're glad you're nominated. Um, but, you know... And again, you know, talking to this, this is not a vendetta against The Handmaid's Tale, but I kind of don't understand why Bradley Whitford is in this category because, you know, like what he does is kind of look, you know, shoot meaningful looks at Elizabeth Moss just as June is about to do something. And he like swirls whiskey in like a nice tumbler. Like it was one thing when it was the, when it, because I think, he was previously nominated in guest actor for this role, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and like, I guess that made sense, right? Because he stood out as this kind of voice of reason. But, you know, my issue with the show is that it doesn't really understand um, where the fight is and who is uh, actually fighting it. And so it's weird to me to like center so much of it around this dude who is actually the architect, one of the main architects of Gilead. But anyway, uh, yeah, for me, it's, it's going to somebody, somebody either in the Roy family or desperate to join the Roy family. 
<laughs> well, and and we we do have Giancarlo Esposito, who is a fantastic actor. Um, he's actually double nominated this year. He has a, a guest acting nomination for Mandalorian, um, and he's the only Mandalorian acting nomination, and he's the only Better Call Saul acting nomination. Um, so I, I could also see there potentially being some room there for people kind of voting for him when they want to vote for Rhea or anyone else on the show. Uh, I, I think this is certainly, you know, the, 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 the lack of representation for Better Call Saul was certainly something that made a lot of headlines uh, when the nominations were announced. And I know among the staff as well, um, there were some feelings maybe it's among mind, some people here. It's mind-boggling <laughs> that Ray Seahorn hasn't been recognized for her performance as Kim Wexler. Like, hands down, one of the best performances on television right now. Uh, you know, that's a role that could have been incredibly thankless, especially if you look at the way that people responded to Anna Gunn in, in Breaking Bad. Uh, a lot of that was willful misinterpretation and bad fandom. Uh, I never thought that uh, Skylar White was as much of a, a blight on that show as a lot of the worst people in its uh, audience did. But... Uh, Ray Seahorn has done something really incredible with the Kim Wexler part and been like, you know, both the, the conscience, the con, the conscience, uh, the Jiminy Cricket, that's a lot easier to say, uh, the Jiminy <laughs> Cricket on Saul Goodman slash Jimmy McGill's shoulder this entire time, while also having her own conflicts to work through and her own internal struggles over uh, ethics and uh, where she actually wants her, you know, legal career to go and her relationship with Jimmy to go. And she brings such life to that performance and also makes you really nervous for her because there is that tension at the center of this show that at a certain point in time, this this relationship, you know, either has to go foul or something terrible happens to Kim or, hey, who knows? Maybe uh, at the end of the show, at the end of the next season, which will be its last season, uh, we'll go back to the, the black and white Cinnabon flash forward and find out that uh, the person that's been making Jimmy paranoid uh, in all of these flash forwards is actually Kim. Maybe. Who knows? I don't know. I'm not Peter Gould. I'm not Vince Gilligan. I just want nice things for Ray Seahorn. <laughs> I think that's a fair yeah. thing. I mean, I mean, you know, it was it was certainly people loved to hate on that character or love to hate on the people hating on that character because, you know, I think we could, we could spend a whole hour talking about why people may or may not like that character, um, which you were hinting at, I think, a little bit, Eric. Uh, Misogyny. But, <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, maybe it's not a whole hour. Maybe it's just that <laughs> we, we leave it there. Um, but, uh, but no, I certainly, I appreciate your fervor with which you advocate for her because uh, I, I, I also hope good things for her in the future. Now, obviously, we want to talk about Jeffrey Wright's uh, performance in Westworld Season 3, but we're going to get to that in just a minute. First up, our assistant editor, Alex McLevy, spoke with cousin Greg himself, Nicholas Braun, about the character's fundamental awkwardness. Um, would you believe it? Uh, Nicholas Braun does not think cousin Greg is cool. And uh, <laughs> here are some of uh, the rest of his thoughts on why he's not cool. Like it must be the challenge then maybe I guess it would be and you can tell me if this, this seems right or not is sort of managing to maintain that sort of fundamental awkwardness 
about him because that must get tougher the longer you inhabit a character and the more you get to know your co-stars and you know your co-workers and everything where their discomfort level fits in that sort of Greg always has this innate sort of almost antipathy towards. Yeah, yeah, it is innate. It is just a part of Greg to be. He's not. He's not cool. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> yeah. He doesn't like shove down. He doesn't shove down feelings easily, and it's kind of the joy of playing him too is that he wears a bit of it, you know, a lot more than the rest of the family on his sleeve. And so I don't want to get rid of that part because it's so fun to get permission to, to, yeah, to like, you know, you know, whatever arbitrary feeling comes up that I don't have to crush it. So, so I don't, yeah, I don't know how it will be as we go back into season three, but I think that that's just a part of Greg and that's what makes him, you know, such a different texture in the family. Yes, I think it's true what they say. Uh, you can't make a tomlet without breaking a few Gregs. <laughs> I love him so much. <laughs> uh, let's go over the Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama Series nominees. Uh, let's, uh, let's try something a little more regal for this, maybe. Mm-hmm. Ella Bonham Carter, The Crown, Laura Dern, Big Little Lies, Meryl Streep, Big Little Lies, Julia Garner, Ozark, Tandy Newton, Westworld, Fiona Shaw, Killing Eve, Sarah Snook, Succession, Samira Wiley, The Handmaid's Tale. Bravo! I think that particularly oh, works on standing. Uh, that was that was pretty that was pretty epic. I, I God, I, I'm I'm so sorry to all of these actors whose names I only ever write and never say out loud. No, I I I, I know exactly how you feel. Uh, you, I think the first time I heard Duplass out loud was when you said their name, because I'd been saying I've been saying Douglas because like for me I'm like Douglas, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I also add random letters uh, when I'm like reading. When I first read Harry Potter, I actually thought his name was Dumbledore because I added like an extra <laughs> E. So like at least you guys are basing it on the actual uh, spelling of their names. <laughs> um, but to the to the task at hand, um, we uh, you know we we left Jeffrey uh, to talk about later. So I guess maybe let's start off with the Westworld nominee here, beautifully pronounced by Eric Andy Newton. Um, if somebody was going to get nominated from the season, I think it's her. I think she's fantastic and continues to do really nuanced and great work. Uh, Jeffrey also does fantastic and nuanced work, but I just, I feel like maybe it's just more so a, a complaint for like his journey as a character for this season, but I just didn't feel like there was a lot of meat for him to chew on. Um, so similar to Bradley where it's just like, he did great work, but like, was that really the, the like showiest work or best work that we could have, honored this this year and and maybe the answer is yes but uh that's just those are my general feelings on 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 this season of of Westworld uh as it as it kind of transformed itself um Danette uh what what did what did you think I know you're a a big fan of the show I had such high hopes for Bernard (laughs) like I wrote about that when we you know discussed the season three premiere among staff I was really looking forward to him having a more active role uh, and he didn't. <laughs> I mean, like he ends the season 
like in stasis or something and then wakes up like however many years later. Um, which is not a knock against Jeffrey Wright's work at all on the show because he still manages to do so much with, I'm sorry, increasingly little. Um, you know, when he he when he's running the self-diagnostic on himself, like it, it would be very easy for him to turn that into a very exaggerated performance, right? Where he like shifts between like the, you know, the computer and the, you know, the, the, the guy that's been, you know, resurrected essentially, you know, uh, multiple times, um, but he doesn't. Like, you know, there's, there's, you can see the change, in, you know, but it, it, it's just a little bit of like the squaring of the shoulders or maybe his voice deepens or his affect flattens a little. Um, so like I said, he does so much with so little, um, but I think Tandy Newton, and I'm sorry, I feel like we disagree on that pronunciation. Does anybody, uh, has anybody said these things out loud? Um, <laughs> I'm sure she has. <laughs> uh, Melanie McFarland of Salon wrote this great piece comparing uh, Maeve's arc with Dolores's arc, where Maeve, uh, you know, she dug into like this idea of Maeve's fluency, right? Or her like globalness, her multiculturalness um, versus, you know, uh, Dolores just having this very like being very single-minded all season long until, you know, they reveal that maybe not so much and, you know, something turned her around. Um, you know, I, I, I think Maeve managed, I, I still feel a bit let down about where we left her um, and about the way that she was utilized throughout the season, but Tandy Newton is amazing in this. Uh, and you're right, Patrick, that if anybody was going to get nominated for this particular season, it would be her or it should be her. Yeah, I, I mean, I also think she benefits from not being in the first episode, or maybe even the first two, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and I think that what you always want for a character is for the audience to be excited when they show up. And I certainly yeah. have that feeling. It was just like a breath of fresh air when her character showed up uh, in the season. And that, I think, just speaks to not only the writing, but also her presence uh, and the way that she performs that character um, it, it just it reinvigorated a season that was that was to me still finding its footing at that point. Um, so I think that helps her as well. I think I think the fact that she kind of buoyed um, the season um, when she came in um, helps helps a lot. I mean, really, when you're talking about Westworld, I think that show's entire game now is just building your hopes up and dashing them every new season. Uh, it's it's a it's a real it's a real disappointment in in that regard. Um, a, a somebody who was probably disappointed the morning that the Emmy nominations came out was Reese Witherspoon, who was in three TV shows that were eligible for Emmys this year uh, in Little Fires Everywhere, The Morning Show, and Big Little Lies, and somehow wound up nominated for none of them. Uh, Patrick, how, how surprised how were happen? you that that turned out? <laughs> I mean, how did this happen? Who is responsible? <laughs> I think there could have already been a splitting of the vote um, that somebody may have thought, well, I want to nominate her and I think she did best in this project. So I'm going to nominate her for Little Fires Everywhere. And then she didn't get Morning Show or Big Little Lies love from them. And, you know, maybe other people did the same thing. They just didn't choose the same thing. So I could also see her being like, ranked, you know, seventh or eighth on a ton of these lists uh, and just not being able to push past the 2% rule, which if 
Uh, actually, I know we've mentioned it a few times. Basically, if you get 2% or more of the vote, um, you're included. So that that's why we end up with different numbers of nominees in different categories. Uh, so she maybe was getting like 0.5% uh, for each one of those roles, and it just didn't equate to, to a full nomination. Uh, but then, you know, the other thing is, you know, was she the best thing on any of these shows? Danette, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, when I think about who else could have been nominated, like, I don't at all feel that this, that this is a snub based on performance necessarily. Like, I think people are surprised because of the volume of projects. Um, but when you put it, I mean, when you look at Little Fires Everywhere, I do think that, lead, you know, that lead actress nomination should go to Kerry Washington. Uh, Big Little Lies I mean, Nicole Kidman ultimately wasn't nominated. And I'm very iffy on Laura Dern getting both an Oscar nomination and an Emmy nomination for basically playing Renata Klein. Um, but, you know, even with The Morning Show, like, when you look at that whole ensemble, like, I would have been a bit more surprised if Jennifer Aniston didn't receive anything for that, even though, you know, a lot of that show doesn't work for me, but like, yeah, for, for me, the, the surprise comes from like, it comes from the volume and not from the performance. Yeah. I mean, I think the one that I would assume hurts the most is, is a uh, morning show because like literally everyone else um, got nominated. Basically. I mean, you have Mark and Billy uh, for supporting um, and then you have uh, Jennifer Aniston and Steve Carell for lead. Uh, so with, Big Little Lies, obviously there's other people that weren't nominated that, that are big series regulars, but for Morning Show, man, I mean, it was like almost everybody else. Uh, but, you know, uh, Big Little Lies did get representation. We have Laura Dern, who you mentioned, but we also have, um, you know, this this little known actress named Meryl Streep. Who? Uh, exactly. Although, I mean, you know, the one thing I will say is, is she certainly did kind of escape into that character with the, with the teeth and the hair and the scream. Um, it wasn't necessarily to my liking, and I I think she's a fantastic actress. I just I, I don't know if what she did worked for me on this show. Um, but I think it was it was you know a foregone conclusion that she was at the very least going to be nominated. Yeah, I assumed it was going to be for guest though. To be perfectly honest, even though uh, the episode that she submitted um, is the one where her character takes the stand and then like all the terrible things about the terrible son she raised uh all come out and so I mean it, it was a great pick on her part but I just thought the character was really more in the guest well what's interesting is uh, I I'd have to look at the number of episodes she was in in Big Little Lies but uh mm. they're very string it's not that that's actually not one where you can um where you can decide yourself. It's based on the number of episodes that you show up in in the series. And this actually came into play um, a few years ago, perhaps, or maybe even just last year for a guest actor versus supporting actor nomination for one of the Veep actors. And what had happened is he'd only filmed, I think, four episodes, but they ended up splitting his storyline um, from four episodes into, I think, six episodes, which put him over the threshold um, from being considered guest to uh, supporting. And so he had submitted for guest thinking he was eligible, got a nomination, um, and then they had to take back the nomination. Um, and this actually was more than a few years ago because I remember the replacement nominee was um, the dad from Girls. And he ended up, he was the replacement nominee and went on to win um, the 
actual award. So you mean uh, Peter Scolari? Bosom yeah. Buddies, Peter Scolari? <laughs> yes, thank you. Honey, I shrunk the kids TV show, Peter Scolari? <laughs> that is actually where I maybe would have gone to, but Bosom Buddies is fantastic as well. Um, so I'll give that one to you, Danette. Uh, but yes, I, I was actually... Um, uh, it was another name that I was like, am I going to say that right? So I'd rather pass, but I appreciate that we've got it out there now. Um, it was um, it was a Peter for Peter swap because it was Peter McNichol from, uh, from yes, Veep. Yes, uh, of Ally McBeal fame. Uh, and Ghostbusters too. Yes. <laughs> um, so, but yes, back to Meryl Streep. Um, <laughs> Who? Uh, uh, you know, I think I, I think it was inevitable that she's getting nominated. Uh, we can debate whether or not she'll win later on in the in the conversation. But as you mentioned, Jeanette, the episode she did submit, she does fantastic work in. So I, I'm glad there. We also have Helena Bonham Carter for the Crown uh, in here, and it's another one that that if 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 one person was going to be nominated from a season, I would say it's going to be her. She was not. Um, obviously, we have uh, Olivia Coleman uh, nominated as well in in lead. Uh, uh, and not that Olivia doesn't do fantastic work. I think that's just such a hard... The, playing the queen is such a hard role because so much of her character is just being as reserved as possible. Um, meanwhile, uh, Helena Bonacarter got to just chew up the scenery, um, particularly in the episode that focused on her. Um, so I'm happy to see her here. Uh, I thought, you know, that it was a risk. It's, it's a risk to tell the story the way they're doing it, where they reboot it with a completely new cast. Uh, and I thought the transition, I thought the transition went well. Um, so for that sake, I um, am glad the show was recognized. Uh, but I, I just, don't, again, don't know if it was the most exciting season of that show. Uh, Eric, what are, what are your thoughts on The Crown? <laughs> uh, it's my favorite highbrow trash on television. It's so beautiful and so tawdry. I mean, I know that this is just like, the lives of the British royals, and this is what British tabloids have been getting by for years. Uh, in fact, we see it all over the uh, the bathroom at Lord Snowden's house in the episode that uh, Helena Bonham Carter submitted for this season. But it is it's one of those shows where like the aesthetics of it are are so rich and so well captured, and I feel like total garbage every time I'm watching it. But you know the the performances do really elevate it, and uh, Helena Bonham Carter is a a favorite of uh, my household. Uh, I don't know if this is a specific reference to any role that she's ever played, but when my wife and I feel like we're we're in a little bit discombobulated. Uh, or we're in a tizzy, we say that we feel like we've got a bird in our hair, which is a reference to maybe a Helena Bonham Carter character that doesn't exist, but that's who we always think of uh, when, when we're I, saying I think the that. Helena Bonham Car- I think the Helena Bonham Carter that you're referencing is Helena Bonham Carter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, that may well be. And she's just all over uh, Princess Margaret in this season. Uh, just, just what a what a beautiful mess! What a what a wonderful thing to to lock your eyes on for an hour or so and escape into uh, these dumb, stupid, uh, easily avoidable mistakes that uh, the royal family have created for themselves. <laughs> um, well, I know we uh, discussed uh, our feelings on Killing Eve. Obviously, Fiona Shaw's great. Again, I don't know that this would be the the. the season to necessarily nominate some like I, I again like that this season just didn't necessarily work for me there 
Um, and we've we've referenced um, the fact that everyone's from Succession is is well deserved of their nominations, and and Sarah Snook is is certainly among that group. Um, but contrasted to Bradley Whitford, how do you feel about Samira Wiley's nomination, Danette? I mean, I I think she's great. I think Samira Wiley is a fantastic actress. I just don't. I mean, so much of the action moves to Canada, but even though she you know has survived her own time in Gilead, Moira is just picking up the pieces of June's life, you know, like she's helping raise June's child. She's, you know, it, it's tough to talk about these nominations without like seeming to ding the performers. It's, it's something that I've been writing about since the first half of the second season ended is that, you know, this is a much bigger discussion to be had about how often dystopias and like science fiction really just, when they envision a bleak alternate history or future, it's typically just white people being subjected to things that people of color have been subjected to. And, you know, the the problem is the show both wants to acknowledge race and still, you know, kind of like avoid it. And I think that's what is, I mean, that's what's creating such an unremarkable character, despite having such a remarkable performer in the role. Yeah, it's like, how much do people want to celebrate characters that they don't necessarily enjoy? And that's a little bit different than here, but it it, it just speaks to all the different factors that go into voting. It's like... Mm. Are you a fan of the character? Are you a fan of the actor? Are you a fan of the arc of that character? And all of those are really separate things. That that's that's writing, that's um, acting, and then that's just the personality of the person behind it. And uh, unfortunately, or or fortunately, all of that goes into effect uh, when you're when you're um, when you're voting. Uh, I, I, but one person that I have to say that I do enjoy for at least two of those three categories is Julia Garner. I don't want to move on without. Acknowledging her her nomination here, uh, I think out of out of everything on Ozark, she works she works the most for me on that show, um, and I think that there's there's a, there's some stuff that works on that show and some stuff that definitely doesn't for me, um, but she certainly does. So I'm I'm happy to continue to see her kind of rise up to get nominated more than once. And you know, uh, incredible that she continues to get nominated for a what I can tell is a vocal only uh, performance because. I've never seen any actors in Ozark. <laughs> you got to start watching TV with many, many lights on. <laughs> I got to screen cap every single scene of Ozark and then run it through Photoshop uh, to turn all the, the brightness and the contrast up. And that's, that's when I really uh, understand Marty Bird's plight. Well, it's like they watched that one episode of Game of Thrones and thought, that that's what I want to do every episode. Uh, yeah, that's a dark show in in more ways than one. <laughs> uh, shall we move on to the outstanding lead actor in a drama series nominees? Let's do it. I can't wait for the announcement. All right, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna nail all of these. This this one's no mistakes. Jason Batman Ozark, <laughs> Sterling K. Brone. This is us. Steve Carl, The Morning Show. Brian Cox, Succession. Billy Porter, Pose. Jeremy Strange, Succession. How'd I do? You did great, Mr. Travolta. We really appreciate your time. And <laughs> Wickedly <we'll> be... talented. <laughs> I also appreciate the Billy Porter. There's just, everyone knows yeah. him. There's no messing that one up. I'm not yeah. fucking that up. Yeah, no. <laughs> 
Um, and and neither were the Emmy voters. You know, if they weren't going to give Pose uh, any love other than that, um, they certainly weren't going to miss out on on nominating him. I think the same kind of goes for Sterling K. Brown now, who just um, I think his character could just sit in an empty room and and on This Is Us, and they would they would nominate him. In fact, they nominated him twice this year because he was also uh, up for Maisel, which we discussed last week. I'm, I'm excited to see them here, obviously, because it adds some diversity to the to the category. But I do wonder if these are these are now just the perennial like are going to be nominated every single year, no matter what actors. And I'm not mad at it. Just you know, I wonder if that is going to be the case. I mean, it it it's just kind of what happens right like we we have to accept that certain things become like habit or tradition if you're feeling generous i mean how many times did julia louis dreyfus win uh you know lead actress in a comedy i mean obviously i i I feel like these nominations are well earned but boy does it can i mean it's very it must and i imagine this is much more frustrating for uh billy porter's cast members but you know Pose is often held up as being this groundbreaking show, which it is, but, you know, it was nominated for Outstanding Drama for its first season, but people love to hold up that show for having the largest trans cast in a drama, but then they don't nominate any of the trans cast members. I'll never get over them leaving MJ Rodriguez off of that because, I mean, it's very easy to look at her character as, you know, this saint, but things are never easy for her. And she rebounds at the end of this uh, second season by, you know, um, setting her up, like just putting together a new family, you know, like just remaining the, the same way that the show's shows that kind of devotion to like community like it's all of that is captured in one character and for whatever reason and this is you know I'm getting ahead of myself again this is lead actress talk um but you know you you mentioned Billy Porter you know being a part of this group for probably as long as he's on pose I just wish that were the case for somebody like MJ Rodriguez or India Moore yeah, I mean, it's interesting because on any other show, Billy Porter's character would be, you know, a, a great heralding of representation because he'd be on a show that was probably predominantly cisgender and uh, predominantly white, um, just because the industry is what it is. But it, it is interesting how all of a sudden he becomes, um, you know, the the least uh, diverse nominee you could put up there, um, which is a good thing. I mean, you know, obviously the fact that the show is what it is, is great, but I agree. I, I wish I was seeing some, some more representation of, of the, of the work that's, that's being put together on that, on that show. Um, we, uh, I mean, Jason Bateman, we can't even see him. Um, so who knows, who knows if he's, if he's, uh, if he did a great job or not. Uh, but, uh, he, he, again, I think is another one that just continues to, uh, to end up in this category for better or worse. And Steve Carell, obviously like returning to episodic television. Um, I, I think he did a lot with a character that, he had a lot to work with and he worked with it well. So I think that this is, is well-deserved. Uh, what did you think of, of Carl's performance in particular? I mean, you're right that he has a lot to work with because, you know, he, he's playing like this big personality with some dark secrets, right? And his submission uh, was actually the flashback episode, uh, Lonely at the Top, where we, we find out 
more about like the personnel changes and it's just reminiscent of real life events, right? With certain, you know, morning show anchors. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> wielding undue influence. This is, this is a sci-fi show, right? <laughs> um, I mean, it, 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 it's a great showcase for um, his lonely at the top is a great showcase for the character. Um, I, I can't remember if um, we've talked about uh, Brian uh, Cox, as uh, Eric put it. Sorry, <laughs> Brian Cox. <laughs> Brian Cox, because we've all got accents now. Um, but, like, talk about a great pick. Uh, the Brian Cox episode uh, that was, on the floor. was Bore on the Floor. Well, hunting is hunting, well, but hunting, sorry, sorry, hunting. <laughs> but born the floor is what we born all. Born the floor is I the mean, name of the game. Right. I mean, that's what the episode should have been called. I, I, I assume they weren't giving away the 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 ending, but that's that's what this episode is called. <laughs> that's also what the supporting actor race is called. <laughs> uh, but I, I I also think that episode just speaks to a discussion that we've that's been ongoing throughout this kind of mini series, uh, you know, and it's blurring the lines between comedy and drama. Uh, as our own Randall Colburn noted in his review, uh, this particular And that is episode, how you actually, that is how you actually say his name. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, he, like, he, he described the show as being a comedy first, which I, you know, which I think is, true and i you know which isn't to take away from you know it's very like smart commentary but it just speaks to how you know like the fluidity i guess of these genres or mediums and and in some ways that kind of is what kept people from really glomming onto the show early on right like that Mm. we didn't really know what to make of it yeah yeah, no, I 100% agree. And I think, I think that, that that kind of feeling is, is maybe going to be to Jeremy Strong's detriment or, or benefit. Um, I think, you know, between those two roles, Brian Cox has the showy, I'm going to scream and yell and, 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 you know, make people crawl around on the floor. Um, and Jeremy Strong's performance, the character is very in his head. Um, and so there's a lot, that, there's a lot that Jeremy has to do to kind of portray that inner, inner life uh, without being as showy. I, I think if I was voting between the two, it'd be a tough decision because like, you know, you, you want to reward Brian for just like chewing that scenery. Um, but Jeremy's doing fantastic work there as well. Uh, just completely different. Um, which also is why they're the two characters uh, have such trouble getting along is, is they're just, they're very different in the way that they uh, walk through life. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see uh, if one of those two is able to pull out uh, a win over the other. That's a good place. I think to pivot on over into the nominees for outstanding lead actress in a drama series who are Jennifer Aniston, the morning show, Olivia Coleman, the crown, Jodie Comer, killing Eve, Laura Linney, Ozark, Sandra O, oh, Killing Eve, and Zendaya, Euphoria. Um, not only did you get the name Zendaya right, 
but you also um, had such a lovely lyrical um, flow to, to, to that one, Eric. I think that might be my favorite so far. Uh, please, please make sure to note that for the VO uh, submissions that I'll be sending to commercial agencies. There you go, for sure. Endorsement uh, all the way. <laughs> I, I, I chalk up the Zendaya thing to uh, Zendaya as Michi. So uh, thank you, memes. <laughs> Thank you, memes. Um, well, we've talked about a lot of these shows and our feelings about them kind of already. Uh, so I, mean, I know, Jennifer Aniston, you were mentioning Danette was the clear nominee here. Um, I wonder, that show had an interesting trajectory, though, because I do feel like at the beginning, everyone was kind of like, well, it's movie stars like doing TV and is it really worth it? And then by the end of the season, I really feel like it, it did ha- it had a succession season one kind of feel to it where people were like, oh, wait, maybe this was worth watching. I know you have some mixed feelings about the show, but uh, do you agree that that was kind of the trajectory? Okay. One, let this be a lesson to all streamers and all networks. <laughs> show critics as much of your show as you have available because I mean, you guys remember all the, you know, the, the discussion around it, you know, when people just had a handful of episodes, it was like, I mean, there was very much that sense of like, where's this going to go? I still don't really feel like, I mean, I, I, I still feel like this is very much an exercise in like the new, like, uh, the new streamer strategy, right? Where you just like, it, it's an A-list show. And like, I, I'm not even sure I could describe it any, that there's any other way to describe it other than like just a bunch of famous people. I, I mean, this is no disrespect to Carrie Aaron, who I think does, uh, I mean, she wrote something like a third of the episodes and she always does great work. But I mean, for me, Aniston is more of a front runner based on like the buzz uh, that's around her and, you know, the excitement at seeing her back in an Emmy race, even though before, you know, she was nominated six or seven times in comedy and won in like 2004, 2003. So for me, you know, like she's, she's a front runner when you, when you look out at everything, but we talk about this a lot when we talk about Killing Eve is that, and you know, this is actually piggy, piggybacking off of your uh, observations just now, Patrick, about Kendall and uh, Logan, uh, sorry, Kendall and Logan Roy is, you know, the, this idea of like the bit, the showier role and then, you know, like the, the more internalized one. And that's what we've got with uh, Villanelle and Eve or Jodie Comer and Sandra Oh. But I feel like Sandra Oh got, kind of got to break out of that a bit more this year, even as we, you know, we finally got some of Villanelle's origin story. What did you guys think about um, those developments this year? It's funny that you say that about Sandra Oh kind of getting to break out because I almost felt like she was a supporting character in this season. Um, uh, you know, uh, I felt like, and maybe that's just because of the energy that that um, Villanelle brings to the to the screen that it just like I felt like that that was the because they because their storylines weren't as intertwined as they were in the first two seasons. Um, I felt like it was kind of Villanelle's story and we were just waiting for Eve to to catch up to Villanelle and, and find her. Um, 
which built an interesting tension to the season, but it just it lacked the spark that those two actresses have um, when they're interacting with each other that I missed so much. Um, it, it, I think what's also was very smart um, is, uh, not only is the episode solely centered on her, but the episode that Jodie Comer submitted is a little bit more of a internal uh, episode for her character. Uh, she obviously has her moments and, and things get a little crazy by the end of it. Um, no, I won't spoil anything, but it certainly is a fiery episode. Um, but uh, other than that, it's, it's a lot of really, it's a family drama for that one episode where we get to kind of see where she came from and, and her, her struggle with uh, wanting to be loved by the, her biological family. And I think that was really smart of her um, to, to submit that episode. But again, you know, I mean, Sandra Oh is fantastic. I would watch Sandra Oh uh, do anything. So I'm happy that she's nominated. But, but for me, Jodi actually got to show a little bit of both sides of, of internal and kind of showy acting. Um, so I'm happy. I'm happy to see her there most of all. And then to bring it to kind of what we were discussing earlier about personality versus the character and, you know, how that factors into voting. I think uh, Olivia Coleman, one of the main reasons that her crown performance was so impressive is that had, had we not known Olivia before this role, we may have thought, oh, she's just, you know, being very reserved and, and you know, playing that aspect of the queen. But knowing Olivia for um, not only her screen work, um, but also just for showing up a little tipsy to award shows and being so just charming and fun and um, high-spirited uh, in real life, you realize how much acting she's actually doing on the crown to kind of maintain that composure and uh, and stillness. Um, so I, I, I'm glad to see her there. Uh, I love Laura Linney. Um, and I also love Zendaya and uh, and Euphoria. Uh, Danette, what are, what are your thoughts on, on Zendaya's nomination? I think we've gotten a lot uh, more nuanced te- teen shows uh, in recent years. You know, you've got stuff like sex, sex Education and a much more extreme version of that would be Euphoria, right? Which, you know, is much more of a drama. Um, I mean, Zendaya's character, Rue, I think she's so great at being typical teen, but also hinting at these much, you know, this much darker side. She has such great chemistry with Hunter Schaefer, who plays Jules. And, you know, the episode that was submitted uh, actually sees them kiss for the first time. And, it's, you know, on some level, it's, it's great that that submission is just kind of like a, a typical coming of age story, right? Where, I mean, well, not so typical because there's like a rehab center involved, but you know, like it, it's two people finding each other, two young, confused people, messed up people finding each other. And, you know, it, it's great that this show manages to also just tell that simple of a story in addition to all the melodrama. Melodrama, indeed. I would have loved to uh, to have seen more more love for that show, um, perhaps even in the the drama category, which I guess maybe brings us there. Eric, do you want to do you want to take us into the to the final right. big the big award? Here we go. It's the the end of the evening. Everybody is very tired, uh, but they're they're ready to see who the big winner is. And will it be Better Call Saul, The Crown, The Handmaid's Tale? The Mandalorian, Ozark, Stranger Things, Succession, or Killing Eve? 
I uh, I appreciate there was very much there was a very like Halloween variety special um, aspect to <laughs> particularly those final ones that, that I enjoyed. Um, one thing before we talk about these, one thing that I just realized is that normally the Emmys uh, are a uh, dry event, or at least at the very least, you can't take drinks into the theater uh, most years. That did change last year for the first time in a long time, um, but you still have to like go stand in a really long line. I um, I ended up in line with half of the Shit's Creek cast one time and they had to stand in line just like everybody else. And um, they were worried one of them didn't have a credit card with them. Uh, it was a whole issue. So there is no special treatment at the at the Emmys as there is at a lot of the other award shows. Um, but people are going to be watching from their homes, which means we might also get like some really tipsy uh, acceptance speeches, uh, which usually are reserved for the Globes. Uh, so that'll be that'll be interesting. Um, but uh, to, to the topic at hand... Um, I think the most surprising thing here, we've talked a lot about all these nominees, so we don't necessarily need to go over every single one of them, but I think the, the main headline out of these nominees are the surprises. Uh, you know, I think Mandalorian being there is, is uh, while it was very entertaining, is a little bit of a surprise for me. Um, Stranger Things, uh, we can discuss whether or not that, that deserved to be up here. Um, uh, and then, you know, for the lack of acting nominations for Better Call Saul to be nominated, I think was a nice surprise to be like, okay, well, at least you recognize that everyone was doing a great job and it was worth, it was worth acknowledging here. But I'll, I'll kick things off by just, you know, Mandalorian, I, I, I just, I feel like it was a bunch of, it's almost like Black Mirror to me. Each episode was so different from, from the one before it and the one after it, that uh, it just didn't have a cohesive drama series feel to me. Um, so that's why that surprises me. Um, but, uh, that being said, it was, it was great work and technically it was a, it was a, you know, a beast to put together and it gave us baby Yoda. So, I mean, I, I, I am glad it got love, but I'm, I'm a little surprised. Uh, what, did that come as a surprise to either of you? Yeah. Big surprise. I have to wonder how yeah. much uh, of it is maybe a missing game of Thrones, uh, factor. Uh, and like suddenly, you know, game of Thrones has both left this big vacancy in this category, but also primed the voters to expect their genre programming to have a tinge of prestige to it, which The Mandalorian certainly has and, you know, was the big ticket item coming out of the Disney Plus launch, but is also, like, the most expensive spinoff of uh, the Hercules Xena universe. You know, it is really this <laughs> nice, pleasant throwback to that type of syndicated action adventure show. Uh, so I kind of like seeing it there just as like, you know, it's uh, much like this casual Emmys ceremony. It's a casual outstanding drama series nominee. Uh, and yeah. Stranger Things is maybe, you know, this, the same. Um. Like, The Mandalorian is definitely more accessible, right? I, it's not even just the Baby Yoda thing, and my God, I'm not going to, you know, wade into Star Wars uh, canon or fandom waters or anything like that. But, you know, as someone who is not nearly as well-versed as uh, our senior writer, Katie Reif, who actually recaps the show, uh, who is very well-versed in all things Star Wars, you know, I... I did not feel like a real bar for entry uh, in watching the show. Um, I think it's, you know, it's just good escape is fair. And as you pointed out, Eric, you know, there, there was a void for like a big genre production. Um, the crown is also like a massive undertaking too, right? Isn't that like the most expensive show 
that Netflix has produced to date. And that might even be the most expensive show ever. Yeah, I mean, and it probably will be. Um, (laughs) But, you know, and we've touched on a few of these and uh, and certainly at the top of the episode. And like, I don't want people to, I don't want for people's takeaway to be like, we're bored with shows once they're in their third season because, (laughs) you know, um, uh, Maureen Ryan, Mo Ryan, uh, I'm not sure uh, what her uh, like byline is. I think it's Maureen. Uh, She wrote for Vanity Fair, right? You know, uh, a lot of like networks and streamers are giving up, uh, giving up on shows at that three season mark. So, you know, if the networks and powers that be are paying attention, we are not asking you <laughs> to cancel any of these things. Oh yes, um, no, please do not, do not. Just, just give them time to tweak it and make it, make it even better for season four. Exactly. Please. I, I mean, I, I think eventually. Uh, I mean, more than anything, I think it speaks to how closely people are watching these things uh, and how much they've kept up with them. That you can see the dip in the quality, and that you can also see uh, the potential for it. Uh, to get better. So although I still think Killing Eve should have been a limited series, um, you know, resolving the relationship between Eve and Villanelle will be interesting to see. Um, So I'm not super surprised that that's in there, even though I, you know, I I do feel like this is the weakest outing. I feel like Ozark is just going to keep showing up in these things to kind of like taunt us for not digging it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, um, it, I, like, I, if you can, if you can actually see it when you watch it, I know people do enjoy it, and that's fine. But yeah, I just like, I, I, yeah, I just, I just can't, I can't. <laughs> the thing about Ozark to me seems like it's people who really miss Breaking Bad without mm-hmm. realizing that there's another Breaking Bad show on, and it's Better Call exactly. Saul, and it is tense as fuck, and it is so fun to watch. Uh, and it has, you know, gotten better every season. Uh, this season seemed like it was going to back itself into a corner, and then it suddenly sent Jimmy off on this wild desert odyssey that finally, you know, we get to see the paths, his path and Gus's path and Mike's path finally converge. And, you know, all of those things that I said about Kim Wexler earlier, it's just, it's such a good show. And I don't know why more people aren't giving it a chance or why it hasn't become the phenomenon that Breaking Bad was. Maybe because it's not as, like, conventionally structured and it's not the crime drama that you expect. And, hey, there's a lot of episodes that deal with uh, land deeds and complicated court battles but uh, I think that just makes this Albuquerque world that Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould have created all the richer. And that's a perfect transition into our second interview, uh, also conducted by our very own assistant editor, Alex McLevy, who spoke with Peter Gould uh, about what he has actually been surprised to learn about the fifth season of Better Call Saul. So Gustavo Fring's story, and maybe most surprising of all, uh, Kim Wexler's story. So it, that those things all surprised surprised us. And I think as we're working on season six, I, I don't I don't want to say too much, but the show has more of a relationship with Breaking Bad than I would have expected. Um, when we started the show, it was very important to me personally, and I, th- I think to all of us 
that it, it, it's uh, it's all, its own thing. It's independent of Breaking Bad as much as we, if we wouldn't obviously be making the show without Breaking Bad. Nobody would have watched a show about a crooked lawyer who we just, you know, who hadn't previously appeared. And it's given us, you know, the fact that it's a spinoff has given us tremendous creative freedom in a lot of ways. But I, I, I think we were trying to keep the two as separate as we could, or at least I was. And I, what I'm finding is as we go, the work that we're doing on this show, I think is going to, um, it's going to change the way people look at Breaking Bad. I know it's changed the way I look at the story of Breaking Bad. Well, I think you'll agree that even though we didn't get to talk to Peter, that interview was good as Gould. <laughs> well, we are approaching the end. As we promised, we were hoping to build suspense uh, to lead up to our conversations about who we think uh, is getting the, the most chatter uh, among the voters. So we'll kick it off with outstanding supporting actor. You know, I think as you'll find as a, as a running theme as we run through this, I think Succession is the show with the momentum um, this, this year. And so I, I, my, my feeling is that it's going to go to one of the Succession guys. Uh, I, I, I'm hoping they don't split the vote, um, but I certainly think that that's the show by far that people are talking the most, uh, the most about. So that, that's where I think the buzz is. Uh, how about you, Jeanette? Absolutely. Um, and Nicholas Braun even rented or bought a tuxedo to, so, you know, so we have a little insight into what that acceptance speech might look like. Uh, Kieran Culkin, call us and tell us what you're planning to wear. And then maybe we'll kind of nudge you up in the, uh, the rankings here. And also tell us how to say Matthew's last name. (laughs) (laughs) Um, how about you, Eric? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think we're going to find as we keep going through these, uh, that it's it's the Roy's year. I feel like this will be uh, the Emmys of Roy's Roses and Watchmen. Ah, there you go. There's there's your headline, uh, Danette. There's your Emmys Emmys headline uh, for you. Um, but yes, uh, of course. Just to remind everyone that's um, Nicholas Braun, Kieran Colton, and Matthew McFadden. Fadden. We apologize. Uh, Mark Duplass, Billy Crudup, John Carlos Esposito, Bradley Woodford, and Jeffrey Wright uh, are for those categories for outstanding supporting actress. It's Helena Bonham Carter, uh, Laura Dern, Meryl Streep, Julia Garner, Sandy, <laughs> Sandy Newton, uh, Tandy Newton, um, Fiona Shaw, Sarah Snook, uh, Samira Wiley. Um, here, I mean, I think I think Meryl Streep's nomination may be the win there, uh, and that could just be uh, wishful thinking. But again, I think Succession has has so much buzz going into it. I, I, I think definitely those two are probably the names I'm hearing the most. Um, my personal feelings are, are that succession is going to is going to succeed here as well. Uh, again, Danette, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, as as much as I I think people would like to see Meryl Streep's acceptance speech, right? I mean, if if we have to see a virtual stream of the Emmys, like you know, if you, if you're building it up in your mind, what you know, what you would like the show to look like, I mean, who wouldn't want? to you know what maybe she'll even wear the cardigan and the fake teeth to accept accept the award um but yeah like if if we're talking two-way ties like that feels uh between like sarah snook and uh meryl streep that they they certainly have the most buzz or the and their shows certainly do 
well, if if Meryl Streep decides she wants to do the wear the bathrobe and have the martini and do the ladies who lunch as she did as part of that Sondheim tribute uh, with um, <laughs> with uh, any of her famous friends again, um, I've been fine. She gets my vote. Uh, Eric, what are your thoughts? <laughs> um, it, it's God. It seems like it's really hard to compete with Meryl Streep uh, in any sort of award. Uh, it, it, yeah, I don't know that. The, my vision of her as just a, a presence in the world was formed by like a Tiny Toons gag where she gets an Oscar for uh, ordering lunch at a restaurant. Uh, so I just, uh, I, I can never count her out if she's up for an award. So I think it's Meryl Streep. Well, as Jennifer Lawrence got to quote Goldie Hawn's character in First Wives Club, there are certain people that do get to say, I beat Meryl. So let's, <laughs> let's see. Um, all right, outstanding lead actor. We've got uh, Bateman, uh, Brown, Carell, Cox, Porter, and Strong. Um, here, again, I have to give it, I have to say Succession is where the most buzz is, though this is a category where I feel like splitting could happen. Um, so, but in terms of buzz, I mean, it, it, it's succession for me. Um, I, I just, I don't know. This could be a situation where we do get a surprise and Corel is up there maybe um, because succession splits the vote. Danette, your thoughts? Yeah, I think Space Force was not good, but uh, <laughs> Steve Carell is certainly on people's minds. Um, so, you know, and we haven't talked a whole lot of, outside of The Handmaid's Tale. We haven't talked too much about like, the significance that like a timely story plays but you know uh, I know that again this isn't uh, the Golden Globes but you know Hollywood loves a story about Hollywood right so um, the morning show has certainly captured people's attention uh, in that respect so um, I mean Carl has pretty good odds himself yeah how about you Eric I think that the Emmy is the one that gets the kiss from daddy this year. Brian Cox all the way. <laughs> um, all right. Well, outstanding lead actress. We've got Jennifer Aniston, Olivia Coleman, Jodie Comer, Laura Linney, Sandra O, oh, Zendaya. I mean, this is just sad making me repeat all these after your fantastic work, Eric. Um, but here we actually have a category with no succession nominees. So I feel like it's like <laughs> wide open. Um, I, I don't want to go first. Uh, let's go backwards this time. Eric, what, what, are, what are your thoughts here? I like Olivia Coleman as the spoiler in this one. Uh, you know, we talked about how she has to take on this very buttoned up performance as the queen. And that's very much what her submitted episode is about, uh, is about the, the queen feeling like she can't show emotion in public. And it's very interesting to watch an actor kind of pick up the torch uh, of a role in the way that the entire cast of The Crown will have to do. And uh, I, I also think that we can't count out the fact that Olivia Coleman is coming off of an Oscar win herself for The Favorite. So uh, I, my money's on Coleman. How about you, Danette? Well, to Eric's point about, you know, seeing the, the kind of the opposite side or another side, uh, we certainly got that uh, with Jodie Comer's performance as Villanelle, um, you know, where where we do kind of see more of what made her the murderous psychopath that she is. Um, <laughs> and I think people are going to appreciate uh, getting that insight, even though I think we've all kind of acknowledged that, you know, the, the buzz around Killing Eve is maybe not the same that it was in its first outing. Um, other than that, 
I, I just get the feeling Laura Lidney is going to surprise us. All right. That feels well, like the spoiler to me. Yeah, I, I don't think that those uh, any of those, uh, obviously all these people did fantastic work uh, and I agree with everything you guys said, but I think I think I'm, I, I think Comer may be able to pull it out just because, um, again, similar to my my feelings about, about Thandie Newton, she excited me every time she came on screen, and I I, I feel like maybe a lot of the Emmy voters might have felt the same um, about a lackluster season that she was kind of the saving grace um, a, a little bit. So we will see. All right. So the big ticket item, of course, is outstanding drama series. I have a feeling I know exactly what we're all going to say, um, but uh, we will go through the motions regardless. Um, Better Call Saul, The Crown, The Handmaid's Tale, The Mandalorian, Ozark, Stranger Things, Succession, and Killing Eve. I, I think we can just all go ahead and uh, acknowledge that it uh, what we think it's going to be. Um, um, so let's just count it down. Uh, three, three, two, two one. one. I mean, congratulations to everyone else for being nominated, but I, I just, I don't see there being a world uh, in which uh, Succession doesn't take this, this year. Uh, I mean, if you had to choose a second one, maybe The Crown... Maybe I don't know, but it's succession all the way for me. Um, do you guys have any other thoughts other than the fact that it's there's just no denying that? I mean, we're talking about how the Emmys love a timely story, and what could be timelier than the world's worst family having way too much power? <laughs> Oh, that is sadly so so true. Um, but uh, but you know what? We we uh, want to relinquish our power for now um, and uh, leave you all um, until next week. Uh, thank you all so much for listening to uh, this episode of Push the Envelope. We will be back next week um, discussing the limited series and movie categories, which there's a lot to dig into there. And I know, Danette, this is a category you're particularly excited about. Um, so I, I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Thank you all for listening, um, and uh, please remember to subscribe, rate, comment. Um, but for the time being, uh, we will go be pushing the envelope on avclub.com. Um, thank you, Eric. Thank you, Jeanette, for joining me. Thank you, Eric, for your fantastic announcer skills. Uh, and I hope all of you guys have a good rest of your week. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye. We here thanks. for you. <laughs>This week's episode of Push the Envelope was hosted by Danette Chavez, Eric Adams, and me, Patrick Gomez. It was produced by Iris Lynn and Carl Blomberg and edited and mixed by Zach Goldsboro. 